going to be talking about baptism today. We're going to be looking at the story of Jesus being baptized from the Gospel of Matthew. It starts in Matthew 3, and then we're going to bleed into, if there's time and leading, um, into Matthew 4, where Jesus goes into the desert to do some mixed martial arts on the enemy. And before I get started, this is what I'm wrestling through. We're in an extended series on the Holy Spirit here at Calvary Chapel, wandering around different places in the New Testament generally. And the Holy Spirit will make uh, an appearance in our scripture today. The more you look for it, the more you'll see that almost all the time, if Jesus is doing something, the Father and the Spirit are doing it with him. If the Spirit's doing something, he's doing it on behalf of the Father through the Son. And so the one true God is the one true God. So it shouldn't ever be a surprise to see them all together. But the thing that I'm finding really God is working in my heart and in my mind as I'm working through this is how uh, the weight of glory of holding together just the normalness of life and the fact that everything is so important at the same time. So I thought I would share, in the midst of this event, baptism, which we believe has just changed human history forever, that eternity has come down, and that God has been here accepting these declarations of faith, and now these people will have different eternities and lives than they would if they hadn't done it. And at the same time, it's just some people getting wet in front of people. That's the flesh, that's the material world, And at the same time, eternity is here. And so I'm wrestling with this a lot. So I have a couple of funny baptism stories that are just like the human, just people being small and interesting. The first one was at our old building. We had a baptismal tank in the stage. It was in the stage. Does anybody remember this one if you're old Calvary? And so it was one of our earlier baptisms that we did when Greg and I were on staff. And Greg, I think, thought he would be just getting ahead of the game. Did you do this, Greg? Where are you to defend yourself? Yeah, did you? So Greg ended up pulling the plug during the shake break and letting the, whatever, 100 gallons of water go down. So right, maybe 20 minutes into the message, right when I was getting ahead of steam and the arms were getting ready to really get warmed up and, you know, people were going to be crying and whatever, all of a sudden the tank was getting near the bottom and all the whole church could hear was... And then we'd wait for a second, and I'd get ready to get going again, and then... And then just kind of smiling and not knowing exactly what was going on, but having a bit of an idea, and then just like, am I ready to go? Just tend to... And then one more time... It did suck. That moment really sucked. Thank you. So that was funny. We decided to never do that again. Sometimes it's good to not get ahead of the game, right? A little, it's it's so good. Sometimes you can be too good at your job. The other one that was more funny, this was the the baptism at our old building where we decided to put some blinds on the pastor office so that the pastor had someone where to go to change privately after a baptism. Because I ended up, I I, I was going to baptize somebody, and this is when we got into the water with everybody, so I was pretty wet. And what I, I needed to do is I was speaking as well, so I needed to get changed like muy pronto, just to add a bit of multiculturalism into the service today. And 
but I hadn't, I hadn't really thought ahead, oh, I'm going to be the last one getting out of the water. And so I was soaking wet, and I grabbed my clothes, and the washrooms were already full with people who were getting changed after being baptized. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do it in the kitchen real quick. And got my shirt off, and then Harry gets into the kitchen, and because he's on coffee service, and he's about to start wheeling up the windows, you know, for the service. And I'm like, you guys are done already? Because I thought maybe I had some announcements. You know, I got the announcement time. People got to sit there. So I got my shirt off, and my um, my belt wasn't working on my shorts anymore, and the coffee doors are about to go up, and so I went into the foyer, into the washroom, and ran into a couple of older lady saints, on my way to, and fortunately the, the washrooms had a bit of like an alcove, and I went and hid behind the door, and all I could hear one of them said was, was that the pastor? Because I had no shirt on, and the underwear was showing, and it was just, I'm sure they could not take me seriously for the message I preached afterwards. They probably just laughed, and like, I can't receive the word from a shirtless pastor. It just, no, no, it's too much. So this is life. This is, we're just people living in the world. And at the same time, we have intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And we're made in his image, so, which means everything that happens really matters. Forever. Crazy. Oh, don't slap the mic. So this is what I'm wrestling with, and we're gonna, you're probably going to hear these themes coming out as we talk about this story. But I, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. So Father God, I just give you this morning, which we're just people in a room drinking coffee. And at the same time, we are eternal beings made by your hand and will. And everything about us is so important. And so Lord, would you help us to know you in truth? to trust Jesus more every minute, to be truly and fully filled and led by the Spirit, and to know you, and to keep growing into who you made us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the story of Jesus' baptism, and as you remember, he was baptized during the ministry of John the baptizer. So John, who's Jesus' cousin, was given this commission by God to prepare ancient Israel uh, for the arrival of the Messiah. And they really weren't ready. They were being ruled over by Rome, but that wasn't their biggest problem. Their biggest problem was their unbelief and the expression of their unbelief in the sin in their lives. And so John the Baptist comes. It's like the last Old Testament prophet. And he's trying to get this people humble and ready for their true king to come. Um, if you've been watching any of the funeral of uh, Elizabeth the Great in Britain... There's a lot of preparation for a major event. And they're taking weeks, and some of you might get Monday off um, to commemorate it. And so this wasn't the death of a royal. This was meant to be the arrival of a royal. And John the Baptist is single-handedly trying to prepare a nation for the arrival of the God King. And because most people aren't ready for him, he's washing them with a baptism of repentance. For their sins. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's John the Baptist. 
Isaiah the prophet was prophesying about John the Baptist coming, and John the Baptist is out in the wilderness going, get ready, get ready, get ready. Verse 4, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, which would remind people of Elijah the prophet, and his food was locusts and wild honey, which um, is kind of interesting. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So this is mostly what it was about. They're coming and they're saying, "Ah, I am a thief. Uh, I'm I'm an angry person. I uh, don't trust God. I hate my brother. They're confessing their sins and getting baptized. And John the Baptist says about himself, I baptize you with water for repentance Uh, There's a bit of a fight with the Sadducees about what he's doing. And this is John the Baptist, you know, speaking of self-identity. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. So here's John the Baptist. He's prophesying about the coming of Jesus, and he sees two main things coming. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to baptize with fire. And as I understand these, these are kind of two different comings of Christ that are being mixed together and conflated in John's perspective. Because at the first coming of Jesus through his death and resurrection, he brings the power to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes to heaven for a long time now. But when he comes back, that is when he's going to come with the baptism of fire. And he really is going to clean out everything that is not holy and pure in the kingdom of God. That's how I read it. You might see it a bit different. All right. Here comes the good stuff. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And this is really important to me. So remember that Jesus said that. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the most important part of this description for me this morning, and it's all important, but I'm just kind of picking one and then running is where Jesus has this little argument with John the Baptist about whether or not it's even fitting for Jesus to get baptized. Because here's Jesus. John doesn't totally get what Jesus is about yet. And after John gets imprisoned, you might remember he has a bit of a crisis of faith, like, I thought you were the Messiah. How come I'm still in prison? But John the Baptist has been worshiping Jesus since he was in his mother's womb. Remember that? Elizabeth conceived John Baptist. And Mary comes and visits, and the two babies are in the womb, and and John Baptist is doing this in the womb when Mary comes in with Jesus. And Elizabeth's all like, oh, no, don't do it. But then she realizes that the worship of the Messiah was happening natally, prenatally. And so when Jesus comes, and John, John the Baptist has been just like hearing confession of sin and baptizing, and hearing confession of sin and baptizing, and hearing confession of sin, and knowing that these people aren't right with God, and washing them off to help them prepare, 
when the Messiah shows up and says, okay, me next, John the Baptist is understandably very confused about what's going on. I'm baptizing people who aren't right with God in order to help them get right with God so that they can meet you, Jesus. Why would you need to get into the water of declaring, I'm not right with God? Does that make sense? Do you understand the conundrum a little bit? It's kind of like this. Speaking of the queen, did you know the queen doesn't like have a driver's license or a passport? Or she didn't? She was the one that gave people passports. She was the one that acknowledged they were part of her kingdom. She didn't. Like, who, who is she going to get to acknowledge that she's the queen? She's the queen. She doesn't need a passport. Same with Jesus. He's the king. What does he need to do to get right in order to be in his own kingdom? He's the king. And he's the one who decides who's fit for his kingdom or not. Not anybody else. So he shows up to the my life is a ruin. I deserve to be rejected by God. I deserve to be rejected and go to hell. Line up. And when he gets to the line for the guy to offer forgiveness from God, who turns out to be the one standing in front of him, the God who offers forgiveness is the one asking to get do this, you can understand the wires are getting crossed. But Jesus insists that this is the right thing to do. And what's going on here is that Jesus wants to get into the filthy cesspool floodwaters of human sin in baptism, not to be forgiven for sin, but to take responsibility for everyone who needs to be forgiven of sin. He doesn't do it because he needs it, but because he wants to represent and be the king and take responsibility for everyone who needs that. And so symbolically, and as an image bearer, And representationally, he goes into the baptismal waters of sinners so that what happens to him in the water we know counts for us too when we follow Jesus into the baptismal waters. Speaking of the queen. She had, she she was like... I understand why people call her Elizabeth the Great. She was a uniquely important individual. And the world is a little bit worse that she's gone. What, like, what? She had like this super long reign. And what other famous rich person carried herself with such dignity and a heart of service like she did over 70 years? Without retirement, she retired when she died. But she was a representative of Britain. She wasn't a judge. She wasn't a politician. She wasn't a military head. They had this, like, 
uh, agreement in their politics with the monarchy. You go be the monarchy, we'll be the politicians. You don't tell us what to do and we won't kill you was kind of their arrangement coming out of the age of revolution with when a lot of monarchs in, Uni- in Europe were getting killed. That's why French, France doesn't have like a real monarchy anymore. Uh, but as a young woman of like 26, she became queen and really did just say like, I devote myself to the loving service of the empire. And she did it. But she was a, she's like on all our coins. Ever, anybody here seen a Canadian coin that doesn't have Queen Elizabeth's face on it? She was, our, she was the representation of Britain, and her job was to be the best British person so that everyone could look to her and be like, at least the best of us is good and has some dignity. And, and then she'd get on the, the television at Christmas and say something. And I was watching the latest one, and she, she did publicly acknowledge Jesus as her, as, as her Lord. I think she's a Christian. But one of the crazy things, I did watch this one like recording of her. She was 21. She was just being crowned like princess or something. It was five years until she was queen. But she said something along the lines of, I dedicate my whole life, whether it be short or long, to the service of my people. And it's crazy because that idea of a sovereign committing themselves to the service of their people is Jesus. Jesus did that. That's not what monarchs do. Until Jesus came and said, the rulers of the Romans, they... They call themselves benefactors, but they just rule over you. But I am one among you who, as I come as one who serves. And then he foot washes. The king of the universe gave a man a petty. The king of the universe scrubbed toes. So anyhow, this is, but when you think of like all the, uh, the pomp and the circumstance and the honor and the guards and the money, just honoring an important figurehead. Can you imagine some, someone letting the queen walk into a sewer tank? Or to go and do five years of uh, solitary confinement in jail? Or to do anything that kind of like identifying with criminal or identifying with filth? And that's what Jesus was doing. So that every single person who says, my life is a wreck, I know I'm sinning, I'm not right with God, I deserve to be punished, but I would like to be saved, and I'd like to be forgiven, and I'd like to be washed clean. Jesus could say, follow me into the baptismal waters. I've already been there before you. And in the baptismal waters, I bought you. I went into the water to take responsibility for you. So now every single Christian who's ever been baptized, Jesus takes responsibility for you. He's your king, the kind that takes responsibility for you. You got financial problems, he takes responsibility for you. You got anger issues, he takes responsibility for you. You got mental health crises, he'll take responsibility for you. You got health crises, he'll take responsibility for you. You need to go to heaven instead of hell, he'll take responsibility for you. He went into those waters like he never deserved in order to take responsibility for people who could never deserve anything. I love him. 
the comfort of never being able to get into a situation where you can't say, Jesus, can you take responsibility for this? And him saying, I already take responsibility for every part of you. What you like and what you don't like. Your successes and your failures. It's, I've already bought it all. I want it all. It's mine. You're all mine. I am your king. Even your confession of sin. I bought it all. Which is why the father decided that that moment of being in the waters of like, I'm a sinner, is when God would show up with the greatest like acknowledgement of you're my son ever. He tears heaven open. The Holy Spirit comes down bodily in a theophany, in a physical form of a dove. And whether it's the Father or an angel being the spokesman for the Father, God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's doing two things here. Number one, this is all true for Jesus. Heaven has been broken over. The, the barrier of sin between heaven and earth was torn. And it would be reconfirmed when the barrier in the temple would be torn open when Jesus died. That division between the presence of God and the presence of sinful man is now removed in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes down for the presence and empowerment of Jesus' ministry. And God the Father shows up and says... I love my boy because it's true and it's all true for Jesus. And because Jesus forced his way into the waters of baptism to make himself appear as a sinner and to stand in the place of sinners like me, I can read this story and say, that's all true for me too. Heaven has been torn open above me. The Holy Spirit has come and now rests on me. And the Father, with the same love that he has for the Son, says, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's why Jesus had to get into the water for this moment. He could have been on a mountaintop for this. He could have been at the temple for this. He could have been at synagogue for this. But if this event had happened any other place, we could have said, That was just Jesus. That isn't me. But because he went down to where I live in the sin zone to get the acknowledgement of the Father's love and the empowerment of the Spirit, I know that even though I belong in the sin zone, I get what Jesus got there. And you too. I liked where somebody talked about feeling like you had to get your act together to get baptized. And you realize that you were thinking about it all wrong. Baptism is people saying, I could never deserve it. And God saying, you get it all. You get it all. You get it all. Every treasure worth having in heaven, what could be more precious than the Father saying, you're my child? What could be more powerful than be given the Holy Spirit? And what could be more welcoming to know that the door of heaven is open to welcome you back up there when you go? What, what treasures? This is cool. And it has to do like, and this is where I'm thinking, like he just looked like a Jewish guy taking a bath 
for sin. Until the voice started talking and saying, I want you to get this. This is your Messiah saving you. Amen? So who are you? We joke about this identity stuff. And Greg talked about saying, like, I'm the beloved. Who are you? Are you just a meat bag? Are you just a flesh machine? Or are you the temple of the living God who got into baptism and has the permanent, real, the only tattoo you could ever want is written across your heart? This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased as your core identity. Because Jesus identified with you so that you could identify with him here. Like he did it. Okay. I still got lots of time. Now I've preached this message up to this point more or less. And uh, Jackie was really disappointed that I was going to preach this passage again. She's been at like every sermon for the last 12 years that I've done. So it doesn't help to keep, it doesn't hurt to keep a little freshness in the message just for her sake, you know. So now I want to take this a little bit further though, because it's not like Jesus just sat there in the waters basking. Uh, this was his soaking time and it didn't last long. Because the next thing that happened is that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert to take the fight to Satan. And if I want to say anything this morning that maybe we miss as Canadian Christians, is that the sonship and the open heaven and the Holy Spirit is there so that we can, with some confidence, take the battle to the enemy. Does that make sense? Like, we're not a defensive military organization. We don't thrive off of super high walls. To keep out the bad stuff. We get the Holy Spirit to go take ground. We get the sonship to take ground. We get the open heaven, which maybe just symbolizes like getting what you want in prayer in order to take ground. And so Jesus gets this standing in our place, ultimate affirmation in order to go and do what no human being had done before, which was to go and defeat Satan. Because even David the Great got taken out. Even Moses the Great got taken out. Like, that's the thing about being a sinner, is that you you always have one foot, one ear open to the enemy, and he'll either catch you coming or he'll catch you going. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that line. It's like, understatement of the day. (laughs) You think? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And And he answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first like battle that the Holy Spirit takes the Son, notice there right away this, the, the enemy challenging this affirmation of sonship that Jesus just got in the baptismal waters. The first battle has to do with kind of like a person's relationship to their body. After you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're hungry. True. That's just one of dozens of desires we have as physical creatures. We hunger. We thirst. We want comfort. We want heat on a cold day. We want hot on a warm... No, wait. I messed it up. Heat on a cold day. Hot on a... Yeah. I actually don't mind a little heat on a hot day myself, but it's a true confession. But maybe you can sort that out in your own mind and let me off the hook for getting it right. We have all kinds of desires. Desires to feel better. Desires to feel great. Uh, Physical desires. Sexual desires. And the first battle that the Spirit leads Jesus into is... Hey, is your body more important than God? And are you going to use your sonship not as service, humbly, under God's word, but in order to satisfy the desires of the flesh? And Jesus rejects it. Pop quiz. In our culture, are we a people who regularly resist physical desire in order to do good or be moral? Or do we tend to try to find the shortest path between me and feeling better? (laughs) Are we in agreement, maybe? You think you... Yeah. Sure. Oh, no, we're totally self-control people. Right? We just love our 40-day fasts. Who's ever done a 40-day fast here? Okay, one or two people, but now you lost all your street cred in heaven because you acknowledged it. Sorry, it was a trap. Just kid, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. As a culture, because we're very materialistic, and I don't just mean owning things, but we tend to try to live like all there is is our chemicals and our flesh and blood and making the Christmas tree in our brains light up we have a hard time imagining saying no to a desire for goodness or for faithfulness or for God and not just feeling better as quickly as possible. I want this. And it's kind of killing us. Um, I I can't even get my brain around. There's this new thing called like rainbow fentanyl. I think it's coming in the States, south of the border. It's fentanyl except it's a hundred times more powerful than regular fentanyl, and it's color-coded to be more attractive to children. And it's so bad that there was a story out of the States recently that somebody at school opened up a bag of it, and the powder came out, and the janitor had a, went into overdose right there from a bit of airborne powder. Because it just makes sense to us to pop whatever you need to pop to feel great. And, and we have so much technology behind feeling better 
And it's, we're so far down the line that any kind of, if you tell somebody they have an activity they want to do, that's part of like becoming who they think they are or that will feel really great for them and you just say like, I'm not sure that's a good thing to do. You're already evil. Just the idea that you could tell somebody that pleasurable experience you're trying to have is not right. You're already evil because we are so materialistic. We think deep down the whole point of existing is just making the Christmas tree light up. And you kind of know, even though like The Matrix was like a bad show where the robots who just you plugged in and had an, had an okay life, you know most of us would do it if they could do it right now. They make it like it's a bad thing, but, it, but if we offered it, hey, we'll put a plug in your brain, you'll feel good till you die. People would be like, I'll trade my Bitcoin for that. For me, the, like, the fight, I, I'm kind of trying to undo. I've always been a screen guy. Um, ever since I was a kid, I loved watching television. I had the first Nintendo when it came out, the Nintendo. I, I was into Nintendo before, there, before it was a classic Nintendo. It was just the only one you had. Then they call it classic to be like, you're old. That's what it means. Old people buy this. That's what classic means for a classic Nintendo. I've always loved screens, loved watching movies. So I've been through the whole progression not the whole, whole one, but from like color television being relatively new. But you, you had to wait until there was a show on you wanted to watch, right? Staying up till 8 o'clock to watch Fraggle Rock on Sunday night before school started. Now we live in a world where you can Google and watch Fraggle Rock while I'm still talking about this. But you used to have to wait. And then when a commercial came up, you couldn't skip it. And you weren't resentful, like now when they, they, they let you not skip it, you actually hate the product more. You're like, you won't let me skip? I'm never buying you, ever, scum. <laughs> but like, I've just been on screens too much, and so just recently, when I'm, my cutting edge of trying to not just live to make the stones of boredom into bread of entertainment, is I'm just trying to get off of YouTube. And I'm so hooked that I don't think I've watched a YouTube video in over a week now, but I still go on to the website and just look at the thumbnails. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I go, but I'm not doing it. And then I wander away. And I know that's my cutting edge is to not go look at the thumbnails. However, this is a sad thing. I'm normal. I'm normal. So many of our lives just revolve around trying to turn a stone into a loaf. Because we can't imagine just loving God's word more than getting the next thing. However, if you're a baptized believer, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into battle over your pleasure desires. Not that they're all bad at all. God made pleasure, and it's a good gift, especially to his children. However, every area of bondage that we have where we want to feel good instead of wanting to follow Jesus... Right now, the Holy Spirit declares war on these things for your good. And because you've been baptized, and because you're a son, and because heaven is open, and because you have the Holy Spirit, you can win with faith in God's word, just like Jesus. And maybe it'll be a process, and maybe you'll need some help. Just do the work. It wasn't that Jesus just like got out of the water and just was like, bloop, 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 Satan. He fasted for 40 days. That's work. But he won. 
Let's, let's win with confidence that we can start to grow in our winning. Number two, I'm going to make this one shorter maybe. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So can you just take a second and imagine that for a second? This is the great temple of Herod the Great. It's this huge, beautiful, one of the ten wonders of the world type thing. Jesus has kind of been transported there. I don't know if it's mentally or physically or what. It doesn't really matter. Probably physically. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down as it is written. He will command angels concerning you, and on their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now there is a bit of differentiation about people and how they interpret this one. Is this just about putting yourself in dangerous situations and saying, you better save me, God, like jumping out of an airplane and being like, I believe in Jesus, I don't need a parachute. Woo! Man cake, pancake. You know, or... I don't... That's part of it. But the fact that it all happened at the temple, which was the center of Jewish worship, which is the center of the worship of God, which was a place where there were always witnesses doing stuff there, might make you think that if Jesus had jumped off of that thing and then kind of done a power glide down with angels holding onto his arms or shoulders or something, he might have all of a sudden become very popular in the esteem of people. Might have become very famous, in fact. Might have had no problem launching a YouTube channel and getting 10 million followers that day. Once the video hit, hit the screen, like, look at that, he's there, whoa, whoa, oh. So if the first temptation had to do about our relationship with our physical bodies, maybe this one has to do with our relationship with what people think about us. And the pleasure of the praise of man. And the pain of the rejection of man that many of us feel in our life. That the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into battle about in order to gain victory by trusting in the word of God instead of building his life around what people might think about him. Do you see that? Am I making this up? There's maybe a case you can build for it. This is a tough one for me. If I had to like name a persistent sin that God's working on me about, it would be fear of man. And it's a, it can be extra tricky when you have a uh, calling that involves public ministry. Because I do need to think about how I'm coming off to people, right? A little bit. And hopefully not to manipulate you into thinking more highly of me than I deserve. But at the very least, I don't want to get in the way of you hearing about Jesus with something I'm doing or not doing. Does that make sense? So I have to think about a little bit about how you're hearing stuff and seeing stuff. Like my sweater. I wanted to mention this for some people who notice stuff. I have two preaching sweaters. Have you noticed this? I'm just going to get this out of the way so it's not a stumbling block for anybody. I love my preaching sweater so bad. They're my favorite, 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 favorite. And I also know in our culture, we think there's something wrong if you see somebody two days in a row and they're wearing the same clothes. You ever notice that? Like, it's like, oh, you're wearing the same thing you wore yesterday. Hmm. Ill? Broke? Hmm. Hmm. You know, there's this weird thing... So I'm wearing this sweater once every seven days, but it looks to you like it's like this. I live in this thing. This is my summer sweater. So I'm just telling you, I love this sweater. And I love my gray one. Thank you. 
But I think, I've got to think about the clothes, right? I don't want to wear anything that's going to make you just, like, get stumbled one way or the other. So I'm just walking about it. However, when we think about the power of how people think about us, our culture has pushed so far down the line of depending on what other people think about us for our own health that there is amongst people who are really concerned about pronouns this idea that if someone won't call you the pronoun that they want, you have nullified their existence, which is a tremendous burden to put on other people and a tremendous vulnerability to put on yourself to depend on everybody calling you the name that you want them to call you or else you don't exist anymore. That, that is a real danger. I don't think I would recommend anybody give another person that much power over their lives and thoughts and feelings and mental health. But we all need to pull back and really not care that much about the crowds. And Jesus really won this. I don't think anybody cared more for the crowds and cared less about the crowds than the Lord Jesus Christ. He could heal people all day long and then tell them things that made them hate his guts. And love them for doing it. And we usually fall off the, I need you to like me, or I'm going to just enjoy offending you. We usually fall off the fence on either side, and none of them on their own are okay. And the Holy Spirit in you, because you are a son, is going to win this battle so that you are really living for your Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And loving people with the overflowing river of the Spirit from your heart. He wants to win that. He wants to win that in me. He's working on me. And finally, again the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. If you want to talk about this last battle, this really is the battle of your relationship with God. If the first one's the relationship with your body, and the second one is your relationship with other people, this would be the relationship with your God. And Satan comes to him and says, hey, great deal. I will elevate you to the status of king of the world. You never have to go to a cross. You can, have, you can be the Messiah of the universe on your own terms. No obedience required. All you need to do is just tell me how great I am. Just spend some time on your knees in front of me, the Prince of Darkness, and I will make you God of the universe without any obedience necessary. And Jesus rejects that. Again, by depending on the word, believing he's a son, under the power of the Spirit. And he says, I, I refuse anything God wants to give me outside of how he wants to give it to me. I refuse to go anywhere God wants to lead me without following the exact path he wants to take me there. And because we know from the baptismal waters that he did this as our representative head and the king of all his people, he wants, I believe, to lead us through all of these victories. 
winning the fight against our flesh, winning the fight against the world, and winning the fight against Satan's temptation to try to convince us to be God instead of to worship God. And because he won, you can win. Yeah, because he won, you have the victory to live into. Because he won, the power and the capacity is there. Under God's word, <laughs> you know, I'm not emphasizing this, but have you noticed he seems to quote scripture quite a bit. Without even having to like Google it on his phone. It, it's almost like he memorized it. This is my message for you today. Brothers and sisters, maybe today we should start getting our fight on. Like, let's make no peace with our sin. No peace with our sin. No peace with our sin. No peace. You have the warrior spirit, the dove of destruction living inside of you. He will lead you into battle. There will be a cost. It will not be comfortable. It might feel like 40 days and nights out in the desert, but you will win. You will win because you are a child of God. And the heavens have been opened to you, and the Spirit of God is upon you. Let's make no peace with our sin. Amen? So, I'm going to wave my arms while the band comes up. And I'm going to pray over you. Father God, here we are. We're just people. We're just these southern Manitoba no-names. If we had a hockey team that was an NHL hockey team, that would be the name for us. The nobodies from nowhere. But God, because you are with us, the same God that called Moses called you. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you. And the same hope that Daniel had going into the lion's dead is the same hope you can have. And the same Christ that dwelled inside Mary lives inside every single woman who calls the Father God through Jesus. You just can't see it. So you take it by faith and you believe in his word. And Father, I pray that the victory of God would be ours in great humility, paying the price, doing it God's way. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.